Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Nothing like a Mo Sider four assist game to uh, generate some definitely not reactionary reactions on the podcast the next night. I mean, it's a good counterbalance to the reactions of the last episode. Yeah, <laughs> certainly swung the pendulum to the other side. <laughs> the Red Wings said, look, we are what we are. Uh, but guys, last episode was a little bit doom and gloom. So we'll give you some fun to talk about. It was still a, a very pro- prototypical Red Wings game based on their roster. But <laughs> hey, a 7-5 win. Multiple multi-point players. Mo Sider with his offensive breakthrough of the season so far. Yeah, we'll take it. Not too bad. Can't complain when the Red Wings U23 department is uh, humming along very nicely the last handful of games. Yeah, I saw that stat from Ice Hockey Gifts. That's like, we, we've we known that they've been doing well, but that is a very, like that. that's the calling card for the Red Wings right now. Is, that, is everything going well? No, but the, the kids are still doing all right. Just don't look at the that exact stat line for the rest of the team. Don't talk. Yeah, don't worry about all yeah, that. Yeah, just the, the, the future is here. <sighs> Quick story. Uh, I was joking about this before the episode, but it's worth hearing. Uh, Evan and I went through a lot of effort to help, uh, and Brad deserves this. Brad's a good hockey player, and he works really hard on his game. Oh, I know what we're talking about. Yeah. Now. Oh, yeah. Brad got voted in as the WOS, WOSHL to the All-Star Game as the uh, last man in for whichever conference you're in. I don't know. It's all made up. And uh, I was so excited. Like, Evan, you and I were going to go. We were going to have signs, embarrass Brad. It was either going to be like We Heart Brad We're doing our own teddy bear toss. Yeah, (laughs) in the middle of the game, (laughs) not sanctioned by the league. It was going to be great. We're going to have some ginger ales. We'll be cheering. We'll be chirping you. It would have been a blast. We probably would have live streamed the whole thing. Hell, we would have brought a couple listeners, flown them out. Then I found out it's a virtual all-star game. They're going to simulate the player in NHL and then sit. No. The only way that could be that that flies in my book is if they make your player five foot even or like five one. But I'm pissed off. I was I was excited to go cheer you on as an all star. If they put the NHL ratings as like true to NHL ratings, I'm gonna be like a twelve. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a fun game. It'll be fun watching the world's slowest uh, NHL video game player in history. <laughs> and the right. third period rolls around, and he has finally cleared the offensive zone. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, one of my, that reminds me of one of my uh, favorite jokes from the original lockout of this millennium where they were like, what did players do uh, during the lockout? And it was like Jason Allison finally finished that breakaway opportunity he started <laughs> last season. Anyhow. All right, folks. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings, the world of the NHL, uh, and anything else that comes up to do with hockey. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Wow. You... Wound up to sound exhausted for that. It's Wednesday. We're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Back to our regular schedule. Uh, on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, uh, we'll be, of course, recapping the wild, near manic uh, 7-5 win that Detroit had at home over the uh, Winnipeg Jets, uh, which Rick Bonus is uh, still not happy about, I'm sure. Probably still blowing his lid on that bench. Uh, we'll be talking about the Red Wings defensive pairings, more specifically uh, is what we've seen from Mo Sider now away from Sherratt and with Jake Wallman, who has been having a season himself, uh, is that the key to unlocking a lot of what we haven't seen from Mo Sider this season? Uh, we'll be talking about some news from down in the AHL from uh, a Jacob Verona perspective, not exactly positive, unfortunately, 
Uh, we didn't get an opportunity last episode to talk about Dylan Larkin uh, being voted into the All-Star game. And uh, some NHL news. There's been a lot going on. It's probably due time that we check in on the NHL. Where is the playoff race? Who might be handing out a free ticket to the Connor Bedard lottery? Is Philadelphia reckoning with who they are as a team finally? Uh, what's been happening actually in Edmonton with former uh, Red Wings GM Ken Holland and his team with Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and their desperate fight to make the playoffs? No, that is not a repeat uh, audio bite from previous seasons. And uh, if we have time, the CHL. Uh, did its best imitation of the NBA. Before all that, uh, I want to point everyone's attention to Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Uh, That is an event that we run in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. What Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is, is a uh, a live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast that takes place before a Detroit Red Wings game. And everyone who's there goes uh, and joins us, the host of the podcast, at the Red Wings game thereafter. So DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets. You get access to the pregame uh, live show and the game itself. The pregame live recording of the podcast has featured spe- special guests like Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. Uh, we have more surprises and things in store for you in the future that we won't spoil quite yet. Uh, there is going to be merch, giveaways, prizes, uh, Q&A, meet and greet with the hosts, but more importantly, the special guests, uh, food and drinks available for you. It's all at Hockey Town Cafe, just a stone's throw away from the arena. And then come time for time for the game, we all head over to the arena. We have uh, a Winged Wheel podcast booth at the concourse uh, where we're going to be giving away um, a ton of merch to uh, any fans in the arena. We have special Winged Wheel podcast seating sections. So we have the entire gondola booked out, which is going fast. Uh, the upper bowl and lower bowl seating as well. Uh, all tickets come with a special Winged Wheel podcast discount. And most importantly, a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, so we thank our good friends at the Detroit Red Wings for helping to facilitate that donation. Uh, DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets. We hope to see you all there. The Red Wings have only played one game since last episode where we talked a lot about maybe the ugly truths of uh, the Red Wings season for the rest of uh, the 2022-2023 season. Uh, coming into this game, the Red Wings were winless in their three efforts in 2023. And with Winnipeg coming into town, that was uh, looking to be a tough matchup. Winnipeg has been, to a lot of people's surprise, a really, really strong team this year. Credit to Rick Bonus and that group because I, I personally wasn't expecting them to be as effective as they have been. Anyhow, no one played defense, no one played goalie, and the Red Wings won seven five. What do you? We'll, we'll recap the game in just a moment here. But what were your overall thoughts on how that game unfolded? <laughs> Do you want the honest answer? Oh yeah, <laughs> Brad. We have Evan here for the uh, uh, for for the measured answer. You're you just go unhinged. Unhinged. I'm giving the measured answer, which was the Red Wings were an absolute disaster, but they were the complete inverse of what they were all year. They weren't this calm, cool, collected five on five team that stifled a lot of chances but struggled to score. This team scored at will. But every time Winnipeg touched the puck, it turned into a ten alarm fire in the Red Wings' defensive zone. At least in the second and third period. The, fir- the first period was a little more uneventful, yeah. even though it was still eventful. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if this is just shooting percentages regressing to the mean and Detroit tried to get it out of the way in one game or what happened, but it was good that the Red Wings finally found a way to actually get the puck into the net. And it felt like because they were doing that, they decided to take a night off of everything else. 
Yeah, the Red Wings started the game with a 3-0 lead. First of all, uh, Jake Wallman was, I think, being highlighted in the game. He was mic'd up by Bally Sports Detroit, and uh, he's been Detroit's best defenseman of late, I think, without a doubt. And uh, opens up the game under a minute and a half in, steps in from the blue line. He does a little shimmy, steps in, and, and beats Hellebuck with a shot that oh, probably shouldn't have beat one of the best goalies in the world. But, hey, when a goalie's having a bad night, a team that wins beats him. And uh, he opened scoring. That was the first of Sider's four assists. And uh, Kopp also got an assist against his former team. Uh, Berggren followed up like six minutes later. Again, Sider and Kopp both on those assists. Uh, Berggren has done what he did on that goal quite a bit. He just finds himself in the right place streaking into the net from that right side. I know it's not anything remarkable, but that guy's ability to find the right space, to find open ice and just be where the puck is on a rebound. Um, it's not talked about a lot, but it's about, it's one of those small things that helps to make him an NHL regular right now, right? Like it's, it's hard for rookies who are highly skilled to come in and set themselves into a lineup right away. You have to do a lot of those little things, right? And it's almost, uh, he almost has a veteran mind for where the puck is going to be around the net. And he's made himself useful there. I mean, to the tune of seven goals already this season in the limited time he's played. Yeah. It's, one of those circumstances where we knew before the season who Bergen was and what his role had to be on the Red Wings. He's he's not a depth guy. He's not a grinder. He's not a penalty killer. So if he's going to be in this lineup, he has to be producing. He has to establish himself in a top nine role. And we were hesitant to say that he'd be able to produce at the NHL level at this point, even if he could hang. Well, he can, and he can do it better than most of the forwards on the Red Wings. He did a great job finishing too. Like Hellebuck came across, was set, and he still beat him high. Um, that's a that's a shooter's goal for sure. So I was somewhat surprised that he finished, but it was it was really nice. He kind of does it all. He does. Uh, the Red Wings. I don't know. There are different points in this game where you realized, or, or you could see the ice was never really tilted in the Red Wings' favor, and it was just the scoreboard was starting to reflect a little bit of the way the ice was playing. Uh, the Jets got one back and made it 3-1 um, to close out the first. And you kind of wondered, mm, is that it then? Is this where it starts to turn around? And then uh, Oscar Sunkfist had a really great play down the boards where uh, he won a puck battle, uh, forced a turnover, and then found uh, Dominic Kubelik streaking down the right side. Uh, and Kubelik was able to fire at home. Important goal for Kubelik because he has been ice, ice, ice cold. ice cold lately. So for someone with the shooting talent that he has and uh, has moved down Detroit's depth chart to the fourth line for this game. Uh, I think it was important for him to break through. And then, uh, yeah, a lot more of of what we what Brad so um, poetically put, where the Red Wings were <laughs> a disaster in a lot of ways. It, it, Winnipeg was just absolutely dominating that game. Like dominating to the point where it was 4-1 and they made it 4-2 off Sam Gagne, which like if you're ever going to not be mad that someone scored against the Red Wings, Sam Gagne is as close as it gets. Nate Schmidt made it 4-3, and I, honestly, at 4-3, I went, I'm not sure that the Red Wings don't lose this game by multiple goals, the way this is playing out right now. They ended up with a 5-on-3, uh, which <laughs> wasn't very well received um, by Rick Bonus. <laughs> what did Mick say? Don't give him a stick. We know what he does with that. And then <laughs> Bonus, you could read Bonus's lips. It wasn't hard. He said, F off, and Mick said, we have nowhere to go, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I think Ken said, oh, he said, have a nice day or something like that. Uh, the Red Wings ended up on a five on three. Raymond had a fantastic pass to the point to Cider 
who fed it to Larkin, who made no mistake, netted his 14th, that power play goal. And then from that point on in the game, it was just back and forth. I don't think the story changed. I think Winnipeg was the better team. I think the Red Wings uh, beat Hellebuck more often than they beat Billy Husso. Billy Husso, you know, led in five goals, but at the same time, I think he made the saves he needed to. That line did not reflect the amount of effort that Billy Husso had to endure yesterday to to get bring that win home. Like he had to stop a lot of grade A chances. Oh yeah, that Winnipeg had um, in the later periods of the game. And we talked. We've talked a lot about okay, Billy Husso's goaltending has come back down to reality, and they're not getting like Vesna tier or God level goaltending anymore. So he's not going to steal games, uh, but. He's also a really good demonstration of the importance of having still a good goalie in your lineup, even if he can't save a defensive tire fire of a game like that. The Red Wings didn't need Dominic Hasek in his prime in that game. They just needed someone to make enough saves against a goalie who's struggling against uh, at the other end of the ice. The way Ned has played this year, I'm not sure Nedeljkovic would have made those saves. Uh, Helberg's still a backup goalie who's a little bit of a journeyman. I'm not sure you could have trusted him. There were a lot of situations a lot of simulations of this game, alternate universes, whatever you want to call it, where the Red Wings don't end up on top, and, and Billy Husso is a big part of that. Yeah. what What's this type of win called? The Grant Fear Special? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, You're going to piss off some people. I know some people who hate the Grant Fear slander. You don't have to stop the first five. You just have to stop the sixth. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that was the that's the hallmark to, to a lot of his success. That's what people remember. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of goals. You're going to get the lead when the other team applies the pressure. You know, Ben, don't break. That's what Huso did. You know, there was one or two Winnipeg goals that left you wanting. Maybe he could have had them. But for the most part, you know, they weren't terrible goals going in on him. And for the amount of, you know, A-plus scoring chances he faced, it's it's an acceptable game. Uh the Red Wings were at one point only at 5-4. Robbie Fabry had a fantastic tip between his own legs in front. Made it 6-4. Uh, it became 6-5 late, or five minutes-ish left in the game because of the power play goal. And then finally the Red Wings capped it off uh, with a uh, minute something left in the game. Larkin found Ray- Larkin sauce it to Raymond. Raymond sealed it with the empty netter. And 7-5 is our result. Wild night. I would probably not have bet on a Red Wings win over... Hellebuck and the Jets, but hey, everyone has bad nights. And what do we say last episode? Like the the margin between the best teams and the worst teams in this league are way thinner than it used to be back in the day. And that's a good example of that. I want to talk about Robbie Fabry and his return. Of all the players who have been injured and come back, like think about Mata and his pneumonia, think about Bertuzzi. Oh, Bertuzzi also returned that game, by the way. Uh, Bertuzzi and multiple broken, you know, limbs or hands or whatever, and um, all these players kind of getting back into the lineup. Fabry would have been the one who I would have pushed the hardest on to say don't expect the most from this guy because what a devastating injury to come back from in ACL tear, and uh, he was out for so long. And he, I'm not, I don't want to say he hasn't missed a step. I'm sure the guy's feeling the wind at the end of every shift, but he's looked really, really, really good. Well, Fabry's game is... A, more of a cerebral game than a pace game, which if you're going to have a style of play to come back from off of an ACL tear, that's probably a good style because mm-hmm. he, he's not the guy who's going to be flying around like Dylan Larkin or Connor McDavid out there. Um, he tends to slow the game down when the puck's on his stick and uh, it's working for him. You know, this might even be a case of 
this is a good dichotomy versus someone who's rested versus the rest of the team who isn't. Yeah, fresh legs. And, uh, you know, relatively speaking. And then, uh, yeah, he, he's got that jump. He's <laughs> realized now that was poor choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, parts of them might be brand new, right? You, you might be onto something there. Robo Fabry. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he, he's probably a little more rested. He's probably got that extra motivation because he's not in the mid-season, you know, doldrums. He He's wanting to get every shift, every minute, every shot, every hit. Just ask Anton Lundell. And it's reflecting in the way he's playing. I'm sure everything will level out in a week or two, but you know, for the time being, it's it's noticeable that he's got that extra little pop behind him right now when he's when he's out there. Fabry was on the sidelines, and he was also probably seeing, you know, Jonathan Bergen steps into this team and has earned himself a top six spot right now. He saw Kubelik at the height of his game, and he was getting like really important minutes and playing alongside Larkin. He watched Perron come in and be an integral part of the power play. You know, these guys want their, their teammates to win. They want their teammates to be successful. When we had Alex Nedeljkovic on the show and I asked him that question about, is there a goalie battle? He he put it really well, I think. It's like, it's framed as a battle, but it's not necessarily always that way. Like, you, you still want the guy across from you to do well because you're wearing the same crest in your jersey. But at the end of the day, this is someone who could take your job. And yeah, he has some security with his contract, but we've seen the way Steve Eisman operates. And if you're not playing to earn that spot, we'll talk about Jacob Vrana in a little bit here, you're not going to play. So that probably feeds into the motivation Fabry had coming in that you mentioned, Brad. Like, not only does he have to hit the ground running, he knows he he can't he can't be seen as disposable uh, because there this isn't the Red Wings of old where there's no one now to take his spot. Can also be excited that you know you play well. It's it's been proven that you get opportunities and you get rewarded for playing well. So, um, yeah, I'm sure there was nothing but motivation for Fabry to get back in the lineup, and uh, he's been excellent so far. All right, let's talk about Mo Satter. Four assists, hell of a night for him. Uh, his first ever four assist game, a tied a Detroit Red Wings franchise record. Uh, for most assists in a game by a defenseman. Four apples for him, and um, I think much needed. A, a lot was being made of Sider's offensive output this season, which hasn't been plentiful. Uh, not been the season we've wanted to see from most Sider. He is now up to two goals and 15 assists for 17 points through 39 games. So, you know, a far cry from uh, maybe what we expected based on last year where he finished with uh, 50 points. So based on pace right now, he would be about 10 11, 12-ish points short of that. So uh, what's the big change that Mo Sider had? He's playing with Jake Wallman now. Was that a flash in the pan in a high-scoring game, or is this what we are going to see more often now from Mo Sider? As usual, the answer generally is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, The reason Mo Sider got more assists last night than usual is because when he made the appropriate pass last night, his teammates finally put the puck in the net which hasn't happened a ton this season. Yeah. Um, you know, how many times have we seen him make that cross-seam pass uh, like the one he made to Oscar Sundqvist for that play to go nowhere, right? So do I think he's going to, you know, all of a sudden start putting up a 60-point pace? No, I don't think so. I think he's got his confidence with the puck back a little bit. I think having Jake Wallman opposite him, you know, really has settled him down and allowed him to play with a little more confidence. And 
again, I don't expect him to set the world on fire, but yeah, this is probably closer to uh, what we are going to see from Mo Sider for the rest of the season than what we saw in October. Okay, I, let's take this opportunity now to talk about Sider, Sherratt, Wallman. Wallman's been fantastic. Um, I think Prashant put out a stat uh, on Wallman. And the, the sample size here is limited, and I think everyone understands that. But he is uh, among defensemen who have played at least 390 minutes, which was Wallman's time on ice at the time that he posted that. Jake Wallman was number one in expected goals ab- above replacement per 60. So that that's a, a per 60 rate. It's a rate stat, but he's producing. I imagine things are going to level out for him. But at the same time, he's looked really good. Now, I've talked a lot about why I think Ben Sherrod is a valuable player for this defense and, and probably makes the defense better than it was last year. But to my surprise, hasn't worked as most Sider's defensive, pair, uh, defensive partner, which is that he is a little unpredictable at both ends of the ice. And when I say a little, I mean quite, actually. It's very noticeable. And he activates a lot. Like he activates into a lot of plays in every way. He will chase the puck up to the blue line in his own zone. Uh, he'll jump into the fray offensively, even if it's not necessarily the you know the right or wrong call. He'll be below the other team's red line, whatever. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But Mo Sider is also a defenseman who likes to activate. Um, so, you know, a lot of people suspected that, hey, if you move Sider with someone else, he would do a little bit better. But everyone's pointing at Olimata because he has been a stay-at-home uh, uh, steadying defenseman, at least for the early part of the season when he was paired with Philip Peronik. But now, Jake Wallman, who's very much a player who likes to transport the puck up the ice and also likes to activate, that's worked for some reason. So what gives here? He might be more predictable in the manner in which he does those things. Yeah. Yeah, so like he, just activation into the offensive zone or, or maybe stepping out of position to make a play isn't doesn't mean unpredictable because you can at least sense when a guy's doing it, right? Yeah. It's amazing what happens when a player makes the right plays more often than not. And it's it sounds harsh, but that's really what this comes down to. Because Ben Schrott, like you alluded to, jumps a lot. Which, again, I, I deeply respect that mindset and that attitude on the ice. Be aggressive. Huge fan of that. He doesn't pick his spots all that well. Especially in the D zone. Wallman is similar. He's not as aggressive as Sherratt is. He doesn't jump as much in either end, but he picks his spots way better. And, you know, you get him opposite someone like Sider, who is also a very smart hockey player who can read the play very well. He can get a sense for, yeah, Wallman should go now. I'm going to hang back. Or, no, I need to go now. I know he's not going anywhere, so I can go. It's, it's again, it's that predictability. And you put, you know, a smart defenseman instead of a, a more aggressive defenseman. And yeah, that makes sense that Sider would start playing better in that circumstance. This really only reinforces to me what we've talked about the last couple episodes, which I know, uh, I think I'm a lot more gung-ho on than maybe you are, Brad. Um, but for me, it means you can't, you have to bring back Wallman. Like, not at an insane price, of course. I, I don't know really what the contract value will be because what does he ask for at 26, 27 years old? But you've seen the effects on this team when Mo Sider isn't clicking, and you see the effect on his development and the rest of the defense when Mo Sider isn't clicking. clicking. Uh, you can't really afford to have that. 
there's a little bit of sunk cost fallacy. It's like, okay, you brought in Ben Sherratt for that much term and that much money. You you want him on your top pair. But in the grand scheme of things, and we've talked about this a lot, it's really not like he's not being paid $8 million a year. And it's it's going to, with the cap increasing and it, you know, almost a season off that contract already, you, you shouldn't be afraid to move him up and down the lineup to where he fits best. Like I always preach with Ben Sherratt, like, yeah, qualms about the contract aside, he still can bring something to this defense that it didn't have before. And I just think I, you obviously wish it would have worked right next to Moe Sider and Hey, they might have to try again in the future. Uh, but for now it seems like moving him down the lineup or to a different pairing that uh, frees up Moe Sider to play with Jake Wallman. It's the move for the, for the time being at least. So we'll see what comes of that. Um, I still think it's, it, it's gotta be the top priority to, to bring him to, uh, to resign him. I would, I would argue Larkin, but I, I agree he needs to be resented. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry about so much about Larkin. He's uh, uh, that'll happen when it happens. You know, I've hardly thought about that since the season has started, and yeah. their captain and only number one center and the most important player on the team on, at forward and all those other things uh, is a pending UFA. And thankfully, it's still October 2022, so we have absolutely nothing to worry about yet. Oh God, I get asked that. So it's the most common question whenever someone finds out. Uh, or wants to talk Red Wings hockey, or, or they know about the pod, they're like, hey, what, so what's the deal with Larkin? And I'm like, yeah, look, man. The the resounding opinion every time you look into it is it'll get done. But I just wish everyone everyone wasn't so comfortable heading so close to the summer. It is such a pain. Anyhow, uh, not the first time we've talked about Jonathan Berggren, but I also want to talk about Jonathan Berggren because this guy looks like he belongs in the NHL and they got it exactly right with the timing on his development and his path in the AHL when they brought him up it is worked seamlessly remember how hyped we were for the 2018 draft afterwards yes this was this was the third forward the Red Wings picked that draft very regrettably I do remember (laughs) I will say I remember a lot of the conversation around Berggren was you know, this is probably a guy who should have been a first round pick. And I actually remember, Brad, you were advocating to take Berggren around the time when they took Valeno. You just weren't expecting Valeno to be there. Yeah, I was a huge fan of both. And I, I think I would have honestly been okay if the Red Wings walked away from that draft with Valeno and Berggren with the first two picks, but I wasn't quite that high on Valeno. But I expected Valeno to go almost 20 picks ahead of where he did. So, you know, that worked out great for what I wanted. I also was, like, doing backflips when we drafted Phillips Adinas. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah, a lot of shame in that, <laughs> that yeah. post-draft yeah. celebration. <laughs> but either way, we've talked about this at length uh, in regards to the draft, where if you get two NHLers out of a draft, it's a good draft. If you get a top-of-the-lineup player and another player out of one draft, it's a phenomenal draft. If you only get one player, but it's a top-of-the-lineup player out of a draft, it's a phenomenal draft. We could be looking at, I hope not, but like Philip Zadina just being a fringe NHL player at six overall. And this draft still being a home run in hindsight for the Red Wings because you might have your number three center in Joe Valeno and a top six winger in Jonathan Berggren. It's a fantastic problem to have. And he's doing this as a rookie who missed almost a year of development time because of a variety of injuries. And at one point, a lot of people, not just Red Wings, a lot of the prospectors were like, 
yeah, we're not sure if this guy has a future. He's had two pretty serious injuries and, and you know, it's in his post-draft season. What's actually going to happen here? What's going to happen to his development? And all of a sudden, here we are. He's top five, top six in rookies points per game out of nowhere on a team that can't score. Yep. It's, it's a truly remarkable story. And I know he's only been up for a couple months, but he's been fairly consistent in those couple months. He hasn't had that like 10 game spell where you're like, where the hell did he go? No, they're, when they talk about what they want him to, first of all, that he's been told to find a place like he's staying on this roster. And you can imagine like, when yeah, you no to, shit. When you get to the point of waving Jacob Verana and, and you no know, Ned is down on a conditioning stint, even though it doesn't take him off the active roster, they're finding ways to keep Bergeron. Um, they're not talking about him being more consistent in terms of what Brad just mentioned in production. They're already needling in on those, you know, those little plays that I was talking about earlier that make a regular NHLer. And that bodes well when you can get the tough stuff out of the way and you know that that guy can translate his AHL game with his hockey IQ and his playmaking and his finishing ability already to the NHL. And you can zero in on, you know, the puck battles, putting yourself in the right place. The million billion little things that some people call intangibles even, uh, that make a regular NHL or that, that, that bodes really well. And his development path is like, it's nice that one's just normal. Also, it's, it's cool that he seems to be a really humble guy. Like, uh, not that it I must had, be Swedish or something. Yeah. No kidding. I have no problem with, with, uh, I, I love players with personality and I, lo- I love players who know they're good at hockey and, you know, have a sick celly in there, but he just looks happy to be playing hockey. And, uh, I'm sure the organization's very happy for, for one that kind of has gone as planned. Yeah. He is a early second round pick that should have been maybe a first round pick who has had a tough go, like you said, Brad, with injuries, especially to his back. They worked on the things that he needed to work on. He needed to work on, and uh, here he is in the NHL. On the flip side, uh, we got word just before the set. Now, that's the Red Wings game, actually. I should wrap that up. Uh, they have Toronto at home on Thursday night, so that's tomorrow night. Matthews is out tonight. For the Leafs, so maybe that will continue to tomorrow as well. Could be. They're just resting him to unleash fury on the Red Wings. <laughs> They're trying to see if they can score 12. Uh, and they have Columbus also at home on Saturday night, and we'll be back with you uh, Sunday, maybe morning. You might even hear the episode. So that's uh, that's the Red Wings' next two games. Um, a top team and a team that they should be able to beat. So let's see It'll how— one and one. <laughs> you decide. Yeah. <laughs> Place your bets. Um, all right. We got word just before the episode that Jacob Verona is going to be a um, scratch in Grand Rapids tonight. So that has something to do with the veteran rule in the AHL. Um, so for the last couple of nights, it's been Lashoff and Chris Squalo, I believe, who have been sitting in night. And tonight it's O'Regan and Verona. So, you know, there's a, a reason why he's not playing. Um, but at the same time, this is very much a $5.25 million NHL player who is not playing. So could be cycling him out and they could say, Hey, fair's fair. Uh, but for a guy who needs to be playing to get back up to game speed and from all accounts and reports, it looks like, you know, the skill is still there for Jacob Verona, but his legs really aren't and his, his game conditioning really isn't there yet. Um, I don't think it's nothing. That he's scratched. Yeah, if you're trying to get a guy back to NHL condition, not playing him isn't going to help him get back into NHL conditioning. This continues to be 
Could it be slightly banged up? Could be. He could be slightly banged up. He could be so gassed and so winded that he needs the time. Could be something behind the scenes, which would it be the first with this specific scenario and Verona? Uh, we'll see as it progresses, but uh, it's definitely, at, at no matter what, you can conclude that it's not the ideal scenario. Um, when he initially was released from the player assistance program by all indications and practice and things like that. It was, hey, they're pushing this guy to see if he can come back to games. And if they're already in that part of like the conditioning and testing phase, it's probably close to, yeah, the Griffins have him scratched. So that's something. It's very peculiar. On that positive note, yeah. we are going to let you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using our special link nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan plus four free months. We all have to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you at all with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel to get your subscription started today. I just have to take a moment here. I'm not going to take too long. But someone made fun of me and Lions fans on Twitter saying, you guys are acting like you won the Super Bowl. I need everyone to know that that was the closest thing I felt to winning a Super Bowl. I was editing the podcast as the Lions ruined Green Bay's chances of making the playoffs. Aaron Rodgers' last, maybe last throw ever in the NFL was a Detroit Lions pick, an interception. I just like the amount of pure joy and petty like happiness that came from that moment. That was the the biggest bit of happiness that the Lions Lions fans have had in a generation. I am absolutely all in on Dan Campbell. I am ready to be heard again. I'm drinking the Kool Aid. I can't believe I'm celebrating for a team that just missed the playoffs, but oh man, all in. That was incredible. Well, you have the huge advantage of your division sucks so hard. Five and one against the NFC North, man. Should have been six and oh two, but then they would have made the playoffs. So, all right. Uh, NHL news. In one of Brad's favorite topics, the All-Star game. <laughs> Whenever we bring the up bring up the All Star game off air, Evan and I have to be like, "Oh, Brad, shut up about how much you love the All Star game." You know, they're actually doing just a virtual simulation of the <laughs> NHL All Star game this year. I would be totally okay. You'll with You'll even be able to see how hung over the players are in their eyes. They're going to add that as uh, as an add on to this uh, the next release of the game. It's actually just a bar that. Uh, pops up below. It's like it's like a life bar. <laughs> you have to balance on it. <laughs> Kale McCarr shows up. His is completely full. It's like Kale. He's like, what? I just had a lot of sugar cookies last night. It's kind of like a kid, eh? Uh, the All-Star Game uh, rosters have been kind of revealed, and Dylan Larkin was chosen uh, as the Red Wings representative, making him a three-time All-Star, which was the right choice for Detroit. You look at 
you know, players who had different points deserved it. I think Vili Huso maybe could have gotten a shout. I think Philip Perona could have gotten a shout. But those are guys who um, didn't play at, you know, at an elite level all season so far. And I think Larkin has maintained that all year. Poor Dylan. He just wants to go to Cabo with everybody else. This guy just needs a couple weeks off to rest and recover as usual and just keeps getting brought into the All-Star game. He's like, well, we... We could have finished the contract negotiation, but now I got to go to the All Star game, so there's no free time. <laughs> don't so. don't joke, Evan. I'm. And then he's what gonna, makes you think I'm joking? <laughs> and then he's going to be All Star game MVP, and that's another hundred grand per year on the contract. And he's going to wear the shades again. He's just going to look too. And cool. he's going to donate the Curry wins to some yeah, needy yeah, family, yeah, 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 yeah. and everyone's like, "Ah, oh, now he's such a good guy as well." Like. Yeah, it's not good for the Red Wings budget, that's for sure. <laughs> Listen, if Larkin doesn't re-sign with the Red Wings, and then in his first interview after, he says, honestly, I was just tired of going to the All-Star game by default, I'd, <laughs> I'd respect it a little bit. <laughs> Look, I'd be heartbroken, and this podcast would ha- go through some dark moments again, but that would be the only thing that could bring me some joy in that process. <laughs> like, could you imagine the first like very honest interview, and he's just like, just tired of being an all-star. I just wanted to go play in Colorado where I could just disappear. Yeah, I'm the fourth best player on my team now. Do you know what I do during the all-star game? I go lay on a beach and get a massage. I'm <laughs> sipping on my ties. It's like, uh, Dylan, Arizona offered you $13 million a year. Why don't you take it? Are you kidding me? <laughs> They'd send me to the all-star game twice in a year. Yeah. Uh, the picks that they made uh, to start are as follows. Um, in the Metro, Sidney Crosby, Johnny Goudreau, Kevin Hayes, which is hysterical because he was just healthy scratched by torts. Uh, Jack Hughes, who is having an unreal season. Brock Nelson, Alex Ovechkin, who's pretty decent. Uh, Andrei Sveshnikov, Igor Shesterkin. Uh, in the Atlantic, Kucherov, Larkin, Marner, Nick Suzuki, Tage, uh, Tage the Rage, Thompson, Brady Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk, Linus Allmark in the Central, uh, Kirill the Thrill, Kaprizov, Clayton Keller, Jason Robertson, uh, Vlad Tarasenko, Seth Jones, Kale McCarr, Josh Morrissey, UC Soros, and in the Pacific, Maddie Beniers, Kevin Fiala, Nazem Kadri, Connor McDavid, Elias Patterson, Troy Terry, Eric Carlson, and Logan Thompson. Now, I believe it's three players per division uh, extra, so 12 additional players are going to be added in by Twitter voting. Adam Ernie, Ryan Reeves. That's all I got. I honestly think... Uh, I have a terrible time remembering the bad players in the NHL. Somehow John Scott gets voted in again. Yeah. Honestly, we should just vote Brad. May as well. Actually, we should vote for the guy who finished second to Brad. What was his name? Tony something? I don't know. Yeah, we should vote him into the end. He deserves that. We actually saved him by uh, by not voting him into that sham All-Star game. Let me tell you this straight up, though. If they start throwing average Joes into the NHL All-Star game, I'm watching the hell out of every second of that. That'd be pretty fun. That would be great for context. Yeah. We have to move on to the next skill event because Tony Gilbert is still <laughs> doing his fastest skater lap. It's been four minutes. <laughs> Brad Crisco slipped and fell. is not missing two teeth and getting medical attention in the corner where he refuses to leave the ice saying, this is my final moment. Uh, the remaining players to be voted in by uh, using the hashtag NHL All-Star vote. That's two skaters and a goalie. And I don't want to dwell on the All-Star game too long because Brad has a knife pointed at me under the table right now. Um, but basically the question is, are there any Red Wings do you think are deserving or could even be uh, close in a vote? Because in my opinion, I think we've seen enough from Huso and Heronic where they could make some noise in voting. 
This is one of those topics where it is very, very important that we get out of our Red Wings sphere and take off the Red Wings colored glasses and look around the Atlantic. When you do that, the answer becomes very clear and very obviously no. Between Look at the Leafs. Like we said, the best player on the Red Wings isn't even a top four player on the Leafs right there. So you could pick three guys off that team right now to yeah. put ahead of them and then you know, that's not even counting the rest of the division, Cole Caulfield, Rasmus Dahlin, a hundred players on Tampa, about another dozen on Boston. It's, they're having very good seasons and they deserve some recognition for it, but they are not having all-star level seasons. The only reason why Leafs fans know who Vili Huso is, is because Steve Eiserman pulled the rug out from Kyle Dubas and signed him before he could. Yeah, but then they... Tuned him up in the one game they played against him. That was Vili Husso's worst game of the season by a lot. Well, I'm just saying that's why. Yeah, that's why it they, won't happen. But I will say, Red Wings fans are passionate, and if you are going to do it, I think Husso and Heronic are your two options. I would think so too. Uh, ben Sherrod, get vote Ben Sherrod in. <laughs> that's it. We got to start the momentum right here. That's how you turn things around. Hey, also Mo Sider. If he, yeah. if, imagine Mo Sider just goes off for the next week. He'll get votes. He'll get votes just off of recognition, uh, like name recognition. Anyhow, uh, we'll see how that pans out. I think uh, they're going to mix things up a lot this All-Star game um, in terms of like the stuff that they're doing. They're basically leaning into the silliness of it. They're trying not to take it too seriously because that has stopped working since like generations ago. Once I, once I understood that the All-Star game is not for our generation and older anymore, yeah. I just, I, I, I came to terms with what the all-star event is it's for the next generation it's it's for the kids i can i can live with that it is no longer for for me but i'll tune into some of it here's how i feel about it as a comparison to like average joe life so maybe you can't relate evan but brad like you and i imagine your work uh has like a christmas banquet every year and it's like Ugh, you're going to get ready, you're going to get dressed, you're going to go to something outside of work hours to see colleagues. like Just for Karen to puke yeah, in a like, punch or something? Yeah, it's like you know it's going to be kind of a drag and you wish you can just relax at home. Uh, but once you're there, it's kind of fun. It's kind of cool to uh, to just let loose and celebrate and uh, you know relax a little bit and uh, have fun, joke around, whatever, eat, drink, good food, all that fun stuff. And that's kind of how I feel about the All-Star game. Like all the lead in and it's like we, we're trying all these these ideas to take it seriously or or make it fun. And it's like uh, you break up the season with this. And I'm sure the players like Larkin has communicated in the past. Like you just want to rest and recover. A lot of players will like just be like, I'll take the one game suspension that extends my vacation. I'll never forgive Gary Pippen for that. Um, but it's been it, it, it seems like it's kind of fun once you're there. So I'm happy that, yeah, the NHL stopped taking it too seriously because that's not the path forward with it at least right now and like you said Evan it's not for everyone so just enjoy it for what it is and I think it's better than having nothing and to be completely honest I don't think a lot of all-star events for all the major sports are even that interesting like the slam dunk contest was the thing to watch for a not while not so much anymore though but it's not so much anymore it's it's kind of lost its its luster yeah but the only thing that I really enjoy watching that I think still has some you know momentum or something people want to watch in terms of all-star game is the home run derby oh yeah there's just something about crushing home run balls just crank it just gets people excited i don't think 
I think that might be the only thing that I like about any all-star events. Um, but so it's not like the NHL is doing something so completely inadequate where yeah. the other leagues are killing it. I just think that might be the nature of all-star games in general right now. Brad, I appreciate you politely sitting that one out as your opinion was completely counter to all, everything Evan and I said. Hey, I have a really good solution how to fix the all-star game. Is it to get rid of the all-star game? No. What? No. Okay. So we've all seen the Hunger Games, right? <laughs> <laughs> three on three tournament still don't change the format got it but the losing three divisions don't get those players back the rest of the season <laughs> well, we're, we're sending Ben Sherrod <laughs> <laughs> honestly I'd rather watch the worst player on every team do that that would probably still be entertaining well we could have solved the applicator to Kaiser contracts way sooner we've had this conversation a million times how much better would it be if guys are just like I want to challenge Connor McDavid for fastest skater we we vote oh, in that'd be who so do we cool. okay who do we want to do be oh, whoever won fastest shot last year let's hardest shot yeah hardest shot whatever and then players are like well I want to or fans vote in they're like this guy is an unreal shot or we vote in someone who's got a who's got a lazy beam and yeah. uh, they have to shoot eighty five mile an hour slap <laughs> shot it, it could be something like that um, they've tried that. And in typical NHL fashion... And it worked amazingly. <laughs> no, and in typical NHL fashion, they screwed it up hor- horribly. Remember, they brought Trevor Zegras specifically for the Breakaway Challenge. He was the only guy invited for an event. And he came out there in his average Joe's get-up, put the blindfold on, pulled off one of the most unreal moves I've seen on a breakaway, scored, and lost. <laughs> oh, Yeah. That's just like, <laughs> well, they basically ended John Scott's career because he made the All Star game. Yeah, they basically, like behind closed doors, just ended his career, and it turned out to be the, probably the last All Star game a lot of people tuned in for. You know what? I think everyone had a lot of learning from that situation. I think like the NHL threw an absolute fit about that, and I understand why they might not have liked it, but that was too much the way they reacted to it. Um. Anyhow, that's the All Star game. Uh, less Brad. Where is it this year? Pick somewhere warm. Sunrise, that- Florida. Sorry. Yeah, there you go. It's always somewhere warm. Put it in Edmonton and see how many one-game suspensions <laughs> you get afterwards. That that suspension always reminds me of the Simpsons quote where uh, Homer's sitting on the couch. Marge comes into the room. She's like, she's like, Homer, work uh, the uh, work called. They said if you don't come in today, you don't bother coming in on Monday. And he's like, woohoo, four-day weekend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we have successfully summed up the NHL All-Star game. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on here. Uh, I'm just going to throw this idea out there. It was reported that um, Buffalo Sabres goalie prospect Eric Portillo, who's a, a lot of listeners will know him as a University of Michigan goalie, um, is not expected to sign with the team. He's going to maybe seek to walk to free agency, as is his right. Um, is this someone where the Red Wings could potentially acquire his rights from Buffalo? Because uh, Buffalo, with this indication that maybe, you know, they have Ukapekalukunen, they have... Um, Devin Levi. Devin Levi in the ranks. Portillo's probably seeing that he doesn't have a path forward to the Sabres net. Would this be someone where the Red Wings could get his rights on the cheap and just add another option for their goaltending future? And this isn't a, hey, uh, 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 throw Sebastian Kosa overboard. No, he is still the number one option in the Red Wings pipeline and they need to focus on that. But you can never have too many options in my mind. Well, right now, realistically, Sebastian Kosa is the only option. Yeah. 
So I would highly advise signing and drafting some more goalies. Um, you know, the ones they do have aren't working out very well. Monkey paw curls. The Red yep. Wings drafted goalie seventh overall this year. Don't you put that evil on me. Um, yeah, not that nobody in the right mind has given up on Kosa, nor should they, but he can't be your only option because, again, we've used this line way too many times, but goalies are voodoo. It's just as likely that Kosa flames out as he doesn't. You don't know. You need other options because you need something to stick. And do I think, you know, Eric Portillo is going to be the future of NHL goaltending? No, but he might be pretty good. So if you can get him without giving it up an asset to do it in free agency, or if you can trade a pretty middling asset to get negotiating rights with him, yeah, you do it. You absolutely do it. And obviously the Red Wings got to be super familiar with him because he's playing just down the road. So if they choose to not pursue him, it's probably because they firmly don't believe in him. Or, you know, if they do, well, then they're pretty confident in in what they're doing. All right. In other NHL news, I just want to take a look here uh, before we jump into overtime. Uh, the Florida Panthers are currently 42 games played, 42 points. That puts them um, six solid points out of a wild card spot. And Pittsburgh has games in hand on them. So it could be as much as 10 points out of a wild card spot. Florida doesn't own their first round pick this year. Montreal does. So if they win the lottery, Montreal could potentially have the first two picks. Yep. Montreal could follow up drafting Slavkovsky, Slavkovsky first overall with drafting Connor Bedard and then Adam Fentilli or Michkov or... I did not sign up for this. Well, Florida did. And that's why you protect your first round picks and... I mean, the the Sherratt trade that they made last year was an overpayment at the time. It was an overpayment now. It, it was foolish to the point where it set the trade market off to a point where every single GM that had a halfway viable defenseman to trade was shopping him around because you were never going to get a higher price. We saw, we heard, like the rumors started flow, flowing in. Every single GM was on the phone um, trying to get a high price for their defenseman, and that was kicked off by Florida. Look, I, I'm a big believer in Florida's lineup. I understand that that's a team that's not always found the success that they've needed, but that's a long ways out of, out to be out of the playoffs. Like we talk about the Red Wings probably not making the playoffs. They are only one point back of Florida with three games in hand. Florida's got a much different lineup. The Red Wings don't have a Matthew Kachuk and a lot of other pieces, but Florida's a long way to go. Did they make a colossal mistake here? Unironically, do you know what Florida doesn't have? Philly Huso. They can't get a save. They're paying almost, what, $15 million for near league worst goaltending? Yeah, that's a find a struggling team or a struggling coach and, you know, point to a struggling goaltending group, and that's what they have right now. Well, Florida right now might be the recipe for disaster in the future when looking at coaching and goaltending. They overpaid massively in free agency to get Bobrovsky and that has failed miserably, but a lot of people predicted that would fail miserably when it happened. They won the president's trophy with Andrew Burnett as their coach. And for some reason brought in, you know, uh, not that Paul Maurice is a bad coach, but he's not a great coach. That was a confusing move. Now all of a sudden these two things are absolutely tanking them this year. Meanwhile, you look at Andrew Burnett, who albeit as an assistant coach went to New Jersey and they're one of the biggest turnaround success stories in the NHL this year. To so, me, yeah, to me, Florida's mo biggest undoing is at the executive level, and that includes the general manager. Like, they make a lot of 
reactionary decisions to their roster based on very recent events, and none of them have paid off. I can't think of the last time they had a trade that, well, maybe that, no, I don't know. Matt Matthew Kachuk trade obviously was not great, but they're getting results from him. I don't even know that it wasn't great. I know he had a big reaction to it, but at the same time, you look at how Huberto's performing in, in Calgary and his season hasn't gone as expected. And then you even look at the ages of the guys that he moved. I still don't think the value, I think that was a wrong value to get. But when you're the president trophy winning team, do you move on from two guys that were very cornerstone pieces in doing that plus picks? If you do, I think, yeah, I don't know. It was a, you had some big brass ones to make it. I don't know that I would have. I think you, you're right. I don't think that trade's worth needling. I think the point of Florida's GM being way too reactionary, being very accurate. All the teams that finally overcome the adversity, it takes time. Like, just because you lost one the year you won the President's Trophy doesn't mean you're a bad team or that you need to totally overhaul. Like, you see a lot of teams keep the same core and let them battle through it, and you just sort of fix the the auxiliary pieces to those teams. Florida is just like, ah, screw it. We're going to get rid of our coach. We're going to get rid of our, some of our best players and yeah. see if they're they're rolling the dice. Man, massive credit, massive, massive credit to Tampa Bay and their management at the time <clears throat> uh, after getting swept by Columbus for sticking with it. Obviously, every team makes some changes and they, they made changes here and there, but by and large, they stuck with their group and their core, and it paid off to them for and them it, to the tune of three cup finals and two Stanley Cups. And it's not easy to do that, I'm sure. I'm sure there's immense pressure from it, every direction to make changes. Look at Toronto as the flip but side of that. That's what good executives, good teams do. They they know what they've got, and they know what they need to do to win. And it's probably not flipping some of your best pieces just because you lost one playoff series no one to hold them no one to fold them it's literally like it's yeah it's easier said than done especially in retrospect but Um, florida you see it repeatedly which i mean i don't feel bad for them they're in detroit's division they can shoot themselves in the foot all they want but i swear to god if montreal (laughs) drops two players in the top five i'm gonna be a little salty dude okay imagine this buffalo on the up and up ottawa not having the season that they intended but they don't have nothing for the future like that's a team that will be about where Detroit is moving forward. Uh, Tampa Bay is still who they are. Toronto still has all their pieces. If Montreal adds Bedard and, you know, Fantilli or Carlson or Michkov, Detroit's going to be in trouble in the Atlantic. Like, legitimately in trouble. They could have 98 points and finish seventh. (laughs) It's hardly a joke. (laughs) The Atlantic could get all all wild cards for the next five, ten years. God. Uh, let's take a look at the um, the standings right now. Uh, in the East, the Metro, Carolina, New Jersey, and uh, New York hold the divisional seeds. Uh, Washington just a bit behind New York. Uh, Pittsburgh four points behind them. Washington and Pittsburgh hold the wild card spots. In the Atlantic, Boston, who seemingly doesn't know how to lose. Toronto and Tampa Bay hold the divisional seeds. Um, and then uh, outside the wild card spot, the Islanders are looking in, and Buffalo's making a surge. I think the amount of contention in the East stops at Florida, and that's just because of Florida's roster, not their their point totals. I'd say from Detroit down, you're probably looking at teams that are firmly out. In the West, uh, Dallas, Winnipeg, and Minnesota hold the Central, while Vegas, LA, and Seattle hold the Pacific. Calgary and Edmonton are holding down the wildcard spots with uh, St. Louis 
and Nashville not far behind. Nashville actually has three games in hand, and they're making it very interesting. Colorado uh, is going to... I, they're going to get in it. Like, There's no way Colorado's going to miss it, I don't think. They've had a world of injuries. We've seen this before. There's a reason Pittsburgh has the crazy playoff streak right now, but Tampa doesn't because they had a season like this. Remember, Tampa Bay is not all that far from removed from missing a playoff. From their disappointing year where they missed playoffs. Yeah, like yeah. pretty akin actually to Vegas last year. Yeah, exactly. It can happen. Again, if if all goes as planned, I would think Colorado's going to surge back in, but they might not, which would be crazy. No Kel McCarr, no Nathan McKinnon in the playoffs. We'll see how it shakes out. I think the West is super interesting. They have been all year. It's been a unpredictable mess. It's like, who do you root for if you want the best hockey available? Like, okay, the reigning cup champs need to get find their way back in it. And yeah, there's divisional seeds. Do you really want Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl missing the playoffs? Like, Edmonton says maybe. I just don't understand how many times... Like, if they miss, that's got to be it for Ken Holland. All you got to do is be able to tie your skates in the bottom six of that team. But no, it's not true. Like, that team, it, it, that's the ultimate demonstration of the what's missing or what the difference is between the NHL and the NBA. Like, you cannot get by with just one or two good players. You have maybe, quite honestly, the two best players on the planet, if not first and third or first and fourth, carrying you to the point where they won series almost on their own in the in previous playoffs. and. They're still struggling to make it. It's an 82-game season. You need you need to be doing better. And I, I, I'm not going to pretend to know what the answers are, but Edmonton has just never had the mix where this isn't. I know what the answer is, and I know what Edmonton has uh, not done. And this is going to sound overly simplistic, but it's the, it's the honest answer. Well, don't give it away for free. Acquire better talent. Oh. The players they play better hockey. The players they choose to bring in have been exceptionally poor decisions for years now. Even going back to pre Ken Holland days, and obviously we dealt with Ken Holland. We know the type of player he likes, and that is the exact opposite of what you should be surrounding Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl with. Can't wait for them to finally go all in at the draft, just to like, or at the trade deadline, just to give a first round pick and a good prospect for Joel Edmondson. I'm gonna ask something as you know. Totally tangential and probably getting away from what we want to do. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Um, do you guys think Connor McDavid stays in Edmonton his whole career? No, no, I don't. At this point, no. He's aged terribly. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying this because I, you know, from the outside in, and yeah, it would be entertaining to see the the best player on the planet move, and you almost never see that in hockey. When was the last time you saw a Gretzky? Um, <laughs> Edmonton. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> But quite honestly, like I, I do, I do think it's already been close, or at least frustrations have boiled over. Like he has needed, he has met with management publicly. Like it's been publicly known on multiple occasions, whether it's you know pretty much signing off on yeah, Ken Holland's a guy, or or what's the plan for the previous regime, or or Ken Holland, what's our plan for the next few years? Like I need to be sold on this. He's not dumb. Like you got to start winning soon. He is playing a level of hockey that's never before been seen in the NHL and that's what happens when the best player on the planet is in his is in his prime but that's a limited amount of years is he going to be a bad player at 30 god no he'll probably still be the best player on the planet if not close to it but now is the time where he should be dominating and because it's not the NBA because it's not an individualistic sport where it's just he and Leon can take over a game and win it 82 times and then 16 times in the playoffs He's going to want something else. 
He's not from Edmonton. He doesn't have the attachment there for that reason. Like, I, I don't want to say he wouldn't stay loyal to the team. But this that's the guy who loves to win, and he's pissed off when he loses. And you've seen that frustration. If they continue on this path, and let's say they miss the playoffs or have a first-round exit over the next couple of years, I, I, I just... I don't see how he stays past his contract. Okay. And that's a big thing to state. Like, I think that's a bold claim. I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of people sort of feel that way. With whether they know anything about it or not, That that's... It's becoming there. more of a common opinion. I, you, hear, you hear people talk about it a, a lot more. Think about it this way. At any point in Connor, in uh, Sidney Crosby's career, did you ever say, oh, that's a guy who's going to want out of Pittsburgh? No. Never once. They, those are the guys, like, credit to Pittsburgh. I've had a lot of criticism about some individual moves that they made, but their overall scheme, their overall story has been do what you need to do to make sure that this core, who has won cups, stays together and get them the support that they need. You can win with Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and at times Flurry. We've seen it. It's been demonstrated multiple times. Just get the support around them. You're going to have to make uncomfortable decisions to mortgage futures. You're going to have to avoid signing bad long-term UFA contracts. You're going to have to let good players go and, and cycle through players before maybe their life cycle in your team. You would uh, in other cases, but as long as you have this core, you can make it work. Pittsburgh, done it beautifully. Uh, Edmonton. It doesn't get easier when you draft like a generational talent. No. It's great that you've got that player, but now it gets... The pressure is just way more because now you're on the clock. And I love that about the sport. I really do. Um, but it's it does hurt my hockey heart, my the hockey fan in me, to see Connor McDavid. Watch, he's going to go win the cup in June and we're going to look like idiots. They'll just, cl- they'll just clip this. Yeah. This is fine. <laughs> it does hurt the hockey fan in me to see him toiling uh, and you know fighting for the playoffs when this guy should be at the top. N- not that it, it should be handed to him, but yeah, I, I just wish Edmonton would give him a better team. He signed through 2025, 2026 for what it's worth. It's coming up quick. Uh, all right. Very quickly here. Uh, we didn't, we don't have a lot of time to jump into it, but uh, the CHL, uh, Connor Bedard didn't move pretty much. Uh, it was his choice. He wants to stay in Regina. He'll be a Regina Pat for the rest of the, his CHL career. Uh, we'll see how much noise they make in terms of playoffs and things. They're not exactly one of the strongest teams out there. Uh, so it's probably where it's the, the road is going to run out for him. And that's fine. I think Regina's hand was tied. Hands were tied here because he, if he doesn't want it, then they weren't going to do it. Um, but they could have got a haul for him. Other players who moved. Oh boy. Uh, People who are in Windsor or uh, people from Detroit who can cross over into Windsor, the Windsor Spitfires have Shane Wright, his CHL rights. So uh, they gave up uh, Mietema, uh, Gavin McCarthy, a second, a third, a fourth, a sixth, a fourth, a conditional sixth, and a conditional fifth for <laughs> Shane CHL Wright. CHL trades are outrageous. They're insane. <laughs> That's not even the craziest one because in the OHL, you're not allowed to trade first round picks. Yeah. It, <laughs> in the WHL, Kamloops Blazers got uh, not just Ryan Hoffer, but Olin Zellweger uh, in exchange from the Everett Silvertips in exchange for uh, four players, a first, a second, a fourth, a first, a fifth, a first, a third, and a first. Oh my God. <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> it's like the Shane Wright trade, but you add four first round picks. Oh yeah. my god! Why don't they just trade for Shane Wright? <laughs> <laughs> the three, the three uh, uh, leagues in the CHL. If you didn't know this, are not actually real. They're just simulated NHL. Be a pro. <laughs> you just like keep adding GM. one thing yeah. until it finally says okay. <laughs> so that game, we're adding a player every week until Team Japan wins the Stanley Cup. Yeah, pretty much. Anyhow, that's the CHL. I just thought that was a good bit of fun. Uh, it has obvious ramifications for teams, and we'll have time to dive into that. Yeah, another training day. camp has fifty-eight players showing up. <laughs> oh my god, it's it's such a wild way to be. Uh, and I have a lot of respect for the the GMs of those leagues who can operate that way. At some point, you must say like the the GM on the other side of the phone is like at a third, and you already see like eleven picks on the table. You're like, I'm not even running that through our like generator. I don't want even want to do the math on that. Just take the third. Who cares? The fax machine at the NHL central office, if they allowed that, would just explode. (laughs) It's it's actually already working overtime on uh, trade deadline day. That thing's would just blow up. Yeah, trades like that came through. They tried uh, tweeting out the trade, but Elon hasn't made that two thousand character uh, addition yet. So, anyhow, that's that. Uh, We'll get more into other teams like the Philadelphias and and uh, like that uh, teams who are going to have some things to reckon with uh, this offseason and at the trade deadline in another episode. But for now, I'm going to bring this over to Overtime. Uh, This episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is uh, the Overtime is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel podcast if you want to support the show. Uh, Currently going on a Toronto Maple Leafs ticket giveaway. So for tomorrow night, uh, we have two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game. Uh, and the majority of those go to our Patreon supporters. Patrons also get access to our Patreon exclusive Discord episodes, or not Discord episodes, uh, overtime episodes that we post uh, after this. So any questions that don't get answered on the main show, we answer the uh, additional overtime show and we just let loose, shoot the shit. And so it's actually, they're a lot of fun. Um, and actually, you know, Mel listens to those and she likes those better than the main show. I think it's because. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you also get uh, entered into every single giveaway that we do automatically, and you get access to the Wing Wheel Podcast Discord. So a lot of benefits, patreon.com slash Podcast. This show happens uh, bef- because of you. Uh, Joseph Barry actually asked a good question about Eric Portillo. Um, and uh, fortunate that we raised that. So JM Rhapsody says, does it feel weird when you see a player wearing a certain number? It took me forever to get over Nyquist and now Fabry wearing 14 and Abs wearing eight. All I can think was, you're not Shanahan. You're not Larry Onoff. Now Wallman's wearing 96 and Suter 24. I know they're not retired, but it still feels wrong. I get over it really quickly, actually. You know, you, you see it the first time, but there, there's certain things that just immediately take your mind out of it. Like Shani shot right, Fabry shoots left, so you see it, and it just it doesn't look like Shani. So your brain automatically disassociates it very quickly. Fifty-two not being Jonathan Erickson was very weird for me at first. I know I had a little bit of a uh, a hard on for hating on Erickson's game probably too much, but uh, seeing a player that I loved seeing playing on the ice in, in Jonathan Berggren was uh, very jarring. Coyote season tickets in Tempe says, do you three, uh, do you three honestly believe that the NHL draft lottery is performed completely as advertised with no shenanigans of any kind? I believe it usually is. However, when it comes to drafts that have perceived generational talents, it appears that teams with either one precarious arena situations Pittsburgh or Edmonton or two play in very large markets like Toronto or New Jersey appear to get very lucky quite often. New Jersey is not a big market in the NHL size. I'm not a conspiracy guy. I 
I like to joke about them and, and it's fun, but like when it comes down to it, 999 out of a thousand conspiracy theories, I just assume are bullshit and I'm right on 999 of them. When you walked into my house today, you said, did you know that dogs can't look up? Yeah. But the one, the one conspiracy theory I will buy into is I don't think the Crosby draft was entire. Every other one hasn't like raised too many red flags. Like if we're being honest here and you're the NHL, did you want Connor McDavid in Edmonton? No, no, of no, course yeah, yeah. you didn't. You wanted, you would have wanted that guy in the Eastern time zone playing at 7 PM in a huge American market. That's what would have been best for the NHL. What was best for the NHL in 2005, making sure one of their, um, you know, top tier organizations didn't have to move because fans stopped showing up because they were so bad. What saved the Pittsburgh Penguins from moving? It was Sidney Crosby. So if I'm, that is probably the only one I will ever buy into in the entirety of hockey history. But I, I could absolutely see that one being legit. So does Connor Bedard save Arizona, even though they are a Western Conference team? I could see it. I'm not. I don't think it. I think there's nowadays it's harder to get away with stuff than it was pre. We'll call it the YouTube era. I have a real hard time. Like the problem is the Arizona guys also have a very legitimate shot at just winning it fairly, but. Um, I agree with you. I think yeah. if anything has happened in the past, I just don't think it could happen anymore. I, I think I'm on that page as well. Um, and I completely I completely agree. I think you can probably pick and choose a narrative for any team that wins. Like there's something, if your team sucks that bad and the NHL isn't the NFL where, you know, when a team is struggling, it's like, hey, they might not be able to like open the doors tomorrow struggling at points over the last, you know, 30 years. Uh, that's different than now. Um <sighs> But the Crosby, like you can, you can pull a narrative out of anyone who's won any of those lotteries. But yeah, the Crosby one to me was like, I'm probably going to follow my own guidance here and just say it was just dumb luck for the NHL. But boy, does the trajectory of this league look way different if he ends up going to Anaheim. And like, it's easy to forget. There has never been a prospect since Crosby to have had the hype that Crosby had going into that draft. McDavid, you could argue, is a better, ultimately a better player, but the McDavid hype did not touch Crosby's hype going into that 05 draft and draft lottery. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh. <laughs> no, I like I liked the other one better. That's what they do when they drink. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> um, who knows? Like Pitt, Pitt, Pittsburgh could have been... Uh, <laughs> Could have been in Waterloo, for all we know. They were Jim close. They had, was... The Pittsburgh Penguins had their Christmas party at Rim Park. Yeah, it was. It was. They were very close to moving into practically Toronto territory, like an hour away. Balsilli had bought land on University in Kitchener Waterloo. Like it yeah. was. It was down the road. It wasn't just a theory. It's still very empty out there. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, next question here on the same theme. Babel Landeskog says, after years of draft lottery mixed results, uh, let's say that the hockey gods smile upon us and somehow the Detroit Red Wings get Connor Bedard. What would that actually mean for the Red Wings in their rebuild? Is the rebuild automatically over at that point or is it close? Would be on the would he be on the first line right away? What's his role in special teams? Do the Wings go out and sign a big fish free agent a few days later? We can daydream all we want, but it may help to think about it logically if the best case scenario happens this summer. 
this accelerates the rebuild by a lot because he solves the Red Wings biggest problem. I would not be surprised if he is the Red Wings best player the day he walks through the door. He is that good. I'd be pretty shocked if he was better than Larkin. I I would bet as a rookie he's over a point per game, and that's not something Larkin has done in his career for a full season. On the Red Wings? On the Red Wings. Okay. But I don't think you're, you're I don't, crazy, I'm not but saying, I'm skeptical. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to happen for sure. I'm saying I wouldn't be surprised if. Yeah. Okay. I would owe Ryan at least a few hundred dollars because I'm going <laughs> through that window 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it dramatically changes the rebuild, the trajectory of this organization. Like we've talked at length over the years about the hardest thing to do in the NHL is get elite talent and it's almost impossible to win without elite talent. So few teams have ever done it in the history of the NHL. If you get a guy that's right now looking like at worst to be a top five player in the league, yes, the effects of how that changes the Red Wings cannot be understood, uh, cannot be overstated. Yeah, I, I also think they they probably go out and add as well. Like they, oh, absolutely! You get Connor Bedard, you're all in. The rebuild is over. There is no more selling off. You are going out, and and you're you are, not a cup contender day one, but you start to act like you can be. But you can turn around quick. Let's not forget it was. Um, if you want to go, all you Chicago, three years from Patrick Kane to Patrick Kane lifting the cup. That is that years. is outrageous. Yeah, when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, the Pittsburgh Penguins was four years with Crosby. The Wings could, you know, let's say they do get Bedard, like they could potentially be on that trajectory based on, you know, they got a more Sider, they've got a Lucas Raymond, they've got Seidman Edvinson, they've got Husso's Kosa maybe at that point, like three, four years, the team looks radically different. Like it's not totally out, out to lunch to think that that could be their trajectory. I'm, well, I don't like this conversation at all because we're putting this bad juju and yeah, yeah. these mixed vibes out into the world. It, we're talking about a 2.5% chance. We're, it's not happening for the Red Wings. It's never happening. We're never winning a draft lottery, but that doesn't... Am I ever going to win the lottery? No. Have I ever played the lottery? No. Uh, are there three-hour drives I'm on where I'm fantasizing about what I do if I won the lottery? Absolutely. That's what it is. We're having fun with it, Evan. Oh, oh yeah. I feel weird having this conversation, just even the thought of that being possible. Did you have a caffeinated drink before this? No, but it feels like I did. (laughs) (laughs) You're just shaking. Uh, All right. This one from a new patron uh, called the angry ginger. Welcome. And thank you so much for your support. Uh, Says, Hey guys, new patron here. Love the content. I drive a lot for work and thoroughly enjoy the conversation. It makes long drives go by quicker. Uh, My question would be with Zadina being close to coming back, would they consider sending him to Grand Rapids to do a conditioning stint? Or is that even an option? If it is an option, would playing him right away in Detroit be advertising him to other clubs for a trade? So first, actually, we should note Zadina had a little bit of a setback with his fractured leg slash ankle. Um, uh, so he's his he's week to week right now, but they could put him on a conditioning stint, definitely. And they should put him on a conditioning stint like you should with almost every player coming off a major injury. <laughs> yeah, not like Fabry was ready for a long time he, before he played. He was skating for a month. Yeah. yeah. So that that's his conditioning stint and they could see that he was ready, but I would imagine Zadina will get a look there. Um, yeah. Advertising him to other clubs for a trade. It's certainly going to be an option, but you want to make sure that he's game ready, right? Like he's not, he doesn't have a, a 
resume right now that would get you a lot for him and think what you want about Philip Zadina. There's no point in dishing him for nothing right now. Uh, his contract's cheap. You have him for term. So if you're going to show him off, show off the best version of Philip Zadina that you possibly can. All right, last question here. Frank the Tank says, although we all expect Detroit to be mostly sellers this trade deadline, does Stevie poker his head around trading for Chikrin and solidifying the left side of the 24-year-old with term who could be part of the core moving forward? Trade proposal, Detroit sends protected first rounder this year deferred to 2024 if pick is top five. William Wallander, Philip Zadina, second from St. Louis in 2023 and whatever other pieces you may think is needed. Who says no and what must be added to be considered reasonable? Side note, great job uh, at the pod and amazing to see the community you guys have built from the passion of the team we all cheer for. You guys truly amplify the love we have for Detroit win or lose. Frank the Tank, thank you so very much for the support. That means a lot. I don't like that trade, which means it's probably close to accurate. I've, I've, why do I feel like that's not nearly enough? I, I also think more would need to be added. Like I, I, that's a top ten pick in a loaded draft. Like I'm not sure as a Red Wing GM I would do that because not necessarily that I don't think the values there. I like I said the trade makes me uncomfortable, which is how I know it's it's in the ballpark of correct. Um. To compete with the other teams and what they'd offer, yeah. Yeah. The Red Wings' left side of their D isn't a huge problem, and I'm I'm more inclined to swing to get that top-end forward in this draft, which is a very loaded draft at forward. So I, I'd be hard-pressed to give up a top-10 pick for, I forget if Chikrin's got two to three years left on his contract, which isn't the Red Wings' contention window. So I, I'd... I'd rather roll the dice on the draft and keep all the additional pieces, but value-wise speaking, that sounds about where it needs to be. If they're getting nervous on Chikrin and they the price comes down, like he signed for two years after this one at 4.6, yeah, you start to think about it, but I don't know, help if they win Connor Bedard too. Then you go out. I would almost want to wait until after the draft. At which point, Chikorin might not be available. Yeah, you'd almost, maybe if you give up a 2024 first. I don't know. All right, folks, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We are going to be recording bright and early Sunday morning. Evan is absolutely jazzed about that. You got it. Brad and I are going to bed now to make sure that we have the energy. Uh, but no, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a, a good show. So we'll we'll see you Sunday after the Toronto and Columbus games. We'd like to thank all of you so much for tuning in. If you're new to the show, welcome. Uh, if you're a longtime listener, thank you so much uh, for putting up with our buffoonery. Uh, we really really appreciate it. Uh, our sponsors of this episode, NordVPN, as well as uh, all of our supporters on Patreon, our name level supporters, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation. Uh, armchair GM slash genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver for the number 69, crying Ryan Hannes, Banana Slam, Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Blake Wheeler's Exploded Testicle, Christ, <laughs> Carl Bertanananaluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Red Hot Ronick, Hassam Al-Kassam, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joseph Barry, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, That's What I Appreciates About You, The Podcasting Couch, Venom, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Red Guys fan, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, proud member of the Jake Wellman Gritty Club, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Carl Thames, 
uh, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Philip Zadiz Nuts, G-Rated Snowblower Joke 2023, Griffey Boy, uh, Heronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt Keeler, Matt S. Loyal Soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ricky Bong Rips, Servo, The Hodag. Thank you all so very much. We'll talk to you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.